Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's up, everybody? Um, today, we are going to talk about ketogenic diets. Um, I will kind of lay out my biases and everything here. At the forefront, um, I did carnivore for two years, as I'm sure everybody's probably heard me talk about on this podcast, other podcasts, and in many different formats and talked about on Twitter. But I had a lot of success with that, right? Um, I'm not going to belabor the history too much of that, but um, just to kind of real quick lay out my thoughts on that, I believe that the carnivore diet mostly works because you're eliminating a lot of foods and it's very satiating and you're kind of hacking your way to a higher protein diet. So it is a, a good way to kind of real quick strip the pounds off but I don't believe it's a sustainable long-term diet. And uh, there are some uh, people and there's some evidence suggesting that higher saturated fat intake may affect heart disease. Um, I haven't dug a lot into that literature and my bias is towards low carb and eating animal foods. So um, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there personally for me, but um, you know, kind of take that for what you will. And obviously as a, a assess your blood lipids with your doctor as necessary. Um, don't take your medical advice from me. I'm not a doctor. I'm just some dude who researches health and talks about libertarian stuff, but we're not going to talk about libertarian stuff or politics here in this podcast today, at least. Um, so I titled the podcast Low Carb Cure All because um, we're going to kind of go against my bias and I'm going to lay out that a carb or a um, reduced carb, low carb, zero carb, carnivore, keto, whatever that low carbohydrate intake kind of style diet um, perhaps is not superior to other diets. Although personally for me, by weight of calories, I am technically ketogenic because I'm doing 60%. Um, well, 180 grams of protein, 180 to like 190 per day. And then 60% of the rest of the calories come from fat and then 40% come from carbohydrates. So by volume of calories, I do get a majority of my calories from fat, but I'm not a necessarily a ketogenic, strict ketogenic kind of guy, right? I still have plenty of carbohydrates just because I find that it's the most sustainable diet for me. That diet may not be sustainable for you, but for me, it is the most sustainable. Um, and that may change here in the next few months. I'm recording this um, June of 2022. So, I mean, that, that could change in the future. Maybe I'll reintroduce more carbohydrates and reduce my fat. Maybe I'll go back to ketogenic. I, 
I don't know. It's just going to depend on what my palate is at that time. But right now, um, the 60, 40, 190 grams of protein per day is most sustainable for me and my goals at this time. So um, obviously caveats being that whatever the most sustainable diet for you is that can get you to your goals, that's what you should do. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody that one diet superior necessarily to the other, but there may be one that's more superior for you. Um, I feel like I've belabored that point enough. So um, we'll start reading a couple articles and a couple studies, and we'll just kind of see where it goes from here. So let me pull this up. Go ahead. All right. Is keto really better for weight loss? A new study takes a closer look at the diet from the Washington Post. Um, you know, everyone's going to poo-poo the uh, source, but it's just an article talking about nutrition. Um, there's a lot of competition for the most contentious issue in weight loss, but I'd have to give the nod to ketogenic diets. Now, a study about them shed some interesting new light, although I'm not holding out a hope for kumbaya. First, though, a brief overview of the theory of ketogenic diets. When you eat carbohydrates, your body processes them with insulin, which shuttles blood glucose into fat stores, leaving you hungry. If you don't eat many carbs, your body starts running on ketones, which your liver manufactures from fat. Less hunger, less fat accumulation, or that's a theory at any rate. Um, there's plenty of evidence to show that basically when calories are equated across diets, people lose about the same amount of weight. Well, calories and protein, because protein is a thermic effect of food. Um, and the most satiating food is a plain white potato. And I know I say the most satiating food is protein, but that's because the majority of the most satiating foods are clustered in protein, right? And there's a lot of carbohydrates are satiating as well and ketogenic diets from what I understand. Also, um, the <clears throat> without the highs and lows of blood glucose, um, sometimes there may be an appetite suppressing effect in some individuals. Now, I don't have any of those studies pulled up here, but that's just what I've heard. Um, it's important to keep in mind that nothing, including keto diets, can defeat the calorie balance equation. To lose weight, you have to burn more calories than you absorb. There are two mechanisms by which a keto diet may help you to do that. It could leave you satiated on fewer calories, so you take in less, and it could increase the rate at which your body burns energy, so you expend more. Um, as we see a little bit later in this podcast, um, the expending more is a little bit of a thread but that's not entirely true there's some ways that they kind of misunderstand the way this works um now when it comes to being satiated on fewer calories that's potentially true because a lot of foods that are high in fat tend to also be a little bit higher in protein now if you're just in there eating macadamia nuts your product could be very satiated they're very high in fat they're very tasty but they don't have a lot of protein and they're very energy dense. So, you know, a handful of macadamia nuts could literally be almost 300 calories, which is a lot of energy. And just so everybody's clear, I try not to say this just because I know it kind of triggers some people, but um, calories in, calories out still does matter, right? The energy you take in is going to be shuttled somewhere in your body no matter what. So you can't just sit here and dump bacon grease and MCT oil into your coffee and then drink it and expect those calories to just finish into thin air. That is mass that needs to go somewhere. And when you take in that mass, that mass is going to be stored one way or another. Um, does keto actually do those things? Let's take appetite first, which brings us to that back to that interesting new study. It's by the National Institutes of Health's Kevin Hall, same scientist who found that people eating ultra-processed food ate 500 calories more per day than people eating a diet of whole-ish foods. This time, he compared a keto diet to a low-fat, high-carb, plant-based diet. If you're of a certain age, you may recall that low-fat diets have been um, have their own theory about 
which much was made back in the 90s because fat is calorie dense, nine calories per gram versus four for carbs and protein. High fat diet leads to overconsumption. Hall's study wanted to test the battling theories by comparing diets head to head. 20 subjects and patients in an NIH facility so all their consumption uh, could be monitored were fed either a keto diet or a low fat diet for two weeks and switched over to the other. These studies are very expensive, which is why they tend to be small and short. Um, I'm glad they had that caveat on there because people may poo-poo the way these studies are done. But honestly, um, in order to put people in food jail, which is essentially what you're doing, you're really putting these people in a room, locking them in there and telling them this is what you can eat and nothing else outside of that to properly measure everything. Um, you have to pay people, right? They're not going to be doing anything else because you're going to increase energy expenditure or may decrease energy expenditure depending on what those people are doing. So metabolic ward studies have to be very, very short. Um, which diet led to less consumption? Uh, drum roll, please. The low fat by a lot, nearly 700 calories per day. This, despite the fact that insulin levels on a low fat diet were, Hall told me, through the roof, the low fat group also lost a little more fat, only about a pound, but not enough for st statistical significance. The keto group lost more fat free mass. But Hall points out a big component of that is water, which you always lose when you cut out carbs. Um, and that's another good point. When you cut out carbs, you deplete what's called glycogen, which is replenished through carbohydrates. Or um, when you have a lot of protein, then your body converts that protein to glucose to restore glycogen. So people on carnivore diets, low-carb diets tend to hold less water, so they may not have as much lean mass, right? So that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like you're losing muscle, but you, you don't have that same fullness, right? You don't have that glycogen stores um, topped off in your muscles and your liver and everywhere else. Boy, this is not the last nail in the coffin of keto satiety. Hall made a point of highlighting the fact on a keto diet, consumption dropped by 300 daily calories in the second week, possibly because of a satiety effect kicking in. Would have dropped more had the study gone longer? There's no way to know, but it's certainly possible. 2015 meta-analysis of studies of satiety on keto versus other diets found that keto was indeed somewhat more satiating. And Hall told me that the theory that being in ketosis expresses hunger could also explain why some subjects in studies of fasting report not being hungry. Um, and I can vouch for that personally. Um, I used to do three-day fasts, five-day fasts um, a couple years ago, and it is kind of weird when <laughs> you haven't had anything to eat for two or three days and you're literally just not hungry. Um, you would think it'd be the exact opposite, but uh, from what I understand, and as they kind of laid out here, sometimes ketones do have a appetite suppression effect. And yeah, you're just not hungry because the ketones apparently suppress appetite. And this is going to be the case for everybody. Some people may experience brain fog, but I believe that's also kind of due to diet and if your body's used to running on stored fat or not. Um, another piece of evidence comes from Hall's previous study, the one about processed foods. The energy density of the keto diet in new studies was comparable to that of highly processed diet in his previous study, Hall said, but subjects on the keto diet didn't overeat while the subjects on the processed diet did. I think it's safe to say the preponderance of the evidence indicates that keto diets may indeed 
maybe more satiating than some other diets. So let's move on to the second question. Does does eating keto up your energy expenditure? Hall has researched that too. In a study he conducted, he found that energy expenditure increased 57 calories per day on a keto diet, although there was no accompanying fat loss. In a review he did of other studies though, he found no advantage. There are studies that find keto diets increase energy expenditure and the issue is very contentious. Scientists argue about the methodology and the accuracy and the various ways to measure energy expenditure, and I don't think there's clear consensus. Me, I'm absolutely ready to believe that energy expenditure can vary on different diets because our bodies handle different foods different ways, but I think it's unlikely that the difference will be big enough to matter much. If keto diets make make you burn, say, several hundred more calories every day, it shouldn't be that hard to detect in the lab. Um, once again, I agree with that statement. Um, if everybody was losing significantly more weight on keto, then we should see people who go on keto diets lose a lot more weight than they do. And they typically do at first. And there's something very, very good about that. But what nobody tends to really realize, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, is that you lose a lot of that body water because the glycogen stores are depleted. Your glycogen no longer is topped off and glycogen contains water. So you lose a lot of that weight initially on a ketogenic low fat diet. So that's something to kind of pay attention to. So yes, you may lose a lot of weight initially, but it may kind of stall out or that weight loss may not be as rapid. So where does that leave us? Ketogenic diets may suppress appetite at least a little, and they may even help you burn more calories. In practice, though, they don't do better than other diets in the long term. And in the short term, several studies have found that keto dieters lose more weight. A 2013 review found that among studies that followed people for at least a year, keto dieters lost about two pounds more than low-fat dieters, finding the author's um, a finding the authors called of cl- little clinical significance. In 2019, the National Lipid Association concluded low carbohydrate and very low carbohydrate diets are not superior to other dietary approaches for weight loss. Um, and they talk about Gary Tobbs here who um, take from him what you will, but he is a little bit of a charlatan and <laughs> doesn't really uh, explore the evidence to the contrary. And he even says as much. So um, we're going to kind of finish up here. This will be in the show notes for people that want to read it. Um, the ketogenic diet versus other diets from verywellfit.com, medically reviewed for what that's worth to whoever. Um, the ketogenic diet, also called the keto diet, has become a popular choice among people who want to lose weight and improve their level of fitness or overall health. To follow the diet, you consume foods that are very high in fat and very low in carbs to get your body into a state of ketosis. Ketosis occurs when your body burns fat rather than glucose for fuel. Um, The one thing that a lot of people also don't talk about when it comes to ketogenic diets is that although you may be burning more fat, you're also storing more fat because your body's preferred fuel is actually glucose or carbohydrates. So when you eat carbohydrates, your body has to burn through that glycogen carbohydrate first before it starts stepping into stored body fat. But um, when you take in exogenous fat, your body has to use that fat before it uses body fat. So yes, you may burn more fat on a ketogenic diet, but once again, you also store more fat. While the eating program has a history of use in medical settings, there's inconsistent evidence supporting its use for long-term weight loss or overall wellness. If you're considering a keto diet, evaluate how it compares to commercial programs like Atkins and see how it fares against other low-carb diets. 
Um, there are several areas where the ketogenic diet differs from nutritional guidelines provided by the USDA, macronutrient balance. Um, the macronutrient balance of a keto diet varies substantially from the recommendations provided by the USDA. On a keto diet, it's recommended that you consume about 75% or more of your calories from fat, according to the 2020 to 2025 guidelines for Americans, adult men and women are advised to consume only 20 to 35% of calories from fat, emphasizing healthy fats. Some versions of the ketogenic diet advise that you choose healthy fats, such as plant-based oils, nuts, and seeds. Other versions allow for a high intake of saturated fats from sources such as fatty cuts of beef and full-fat dairy products. USDA guidelines recommend limiting your intake of saturated fat to less than 10% of your total caloric intake. USDA guidelines advise that, assault, that adults consume 45 to 65% of your calories from carbohydrates. On a keto diet, you consume just 5% of your calories from carbs. Um, once again, if that's sustainable for you, then go ahead and get after it. <laughs> um, your protein intake on a keto diet may align with USDA guidelines. On most versions of keto diet, you're likely to consume about 20% of your calories from protein. USDA guidelines suggest that you should consume about 10 to 35% of calories from protein. Additionally, the USDA also provides a recommendation for dietary fiber, approximately 22 to 34 grams per day. Those on a keto diet would have a difficult time reaching this goal since fiber is a carbohydrate. Um, we'll just kind of scroll through here. I don't want to belabor this way too much. Um, calorie counting is not required on a ketogenic diet. It's not required on any diet, to be fair. There's no specific calorie target on most versions of the program. However, since this diet is high in fat, it's possible you would consume more calories on a keto eating plan because fat contains more than twice as many calories per gram as carbohydrate protein. However, proponents of the keto eating plan suggest that when you follow the program, you end up eating less Overall, because fatty foods are more satisfying than high, foods high in carbohydrate. If your goal is to reach or maintain a healthy weight, you should consume the right number of calories each day, whether you follow a ketogenic eating plan or any other. You can increase your total number of recommended calories by increasing your activity level. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't want to belabor this too much. So here they just kind of lay out different diets. Um, yeah, you know, we're not going to belabor this too much longer here. So you, they just kind of lay out the different low-carb diets. Um, like I said, technically, I am low-carbohydrate because I'm not getting majority of my um, calories from carbohydrates, but I don't think anybody would consider anywhere from like 150 to 200 grams of carbohydrates a day, low-carb by any stretch of the imagination. So... Um, here we're reading a study from PubMed, obesity, energetics, body weight regulation, and the effects of diet composition. Um, weight changes are accompanied by imbalances between calorie intake and expenditure. This fact is often misinterpreted to suggest that obesity is caused by gluttony and sloth. It can be treated by simply advising people to eat less and move more. Rather, various components of energy balance are dynamically interrelated and weight loss is resisted by counterbalancing physiological processes. While low-carb diets have been suggested to partially subvert these processes by increasing energy expenditure and promoting fat loss, our meta-analysis, which is a study of many studies of 32 controlled feeding studies with isocaloric substitution and carbohydrate for fat, found that both energy expenditure and fat loss were greater in lower-fat diets. We review the components of energy balance and mechanisms acting to resist weight loss in the context of static settling point and set point models of body weight regulation with the set point model being the most commensurate with the current data. Um, it's kind of like a real 
they just basically say that the um, meta-analysis shows that low fat actually tends to have more significant weight loss. Um, and I don't think it's clinically significant. Um, there's probably some different reasons for that. If I had access to this, then I would obviously kind of breeze through it and we could talk about that a little bit more, but, um, you know, that would be pretty dry and boring as I'm sure some of these studies podcasts already are. So this is going over a plant-based diet, low fat versus a animal-based keto diet on ad libitum energy intake. So ad libitum energy intake basically means um, people just eating as they see or as they want, right? So literally people will just eat until they're satiated or until they feel like they don't want to eat anymore. So the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity posits that high carbohydrate diets lead to excess insulin secretion, thereby promoting fat accumulation, increasing energy intake. Thus, low carbohydrate diets are predicted to reduce ad libitum energy intake as compared to low fat, high carb diets. To test this hypothesis, 20 adults aged 29 um, years old with a body mass index of 27.8 were admitted as inpatients to the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center and randomized to consume ad libitum, either a minimally processed plant-based low-fat diet, and here they lay out 10.3% uh, from fat, 75.2% from carbs, with high glycemic load, or a minimally processed animal-based ketogenic diet, 75.8% fat to 10% carbohydrate, with low glycemic load for two weeks followed immediately by the alternate diet for two weeks. So um, they literally fed these people a low fat diet for two weeks and then a um, high fat diet and then swapped them over. So this is a very, very interesting kind of study because they literally compare the diets in the same individuals. She so yes, it may not be that long, but it's very tightly controlled and it's literally using people as their own controls. So I think that's really, really neat. Um, one participant withdrew due to hypoglycemia during a low-carb diet. The primary outcomes compared the mean daily ad libitum energy intake between each two-week diet period as well as between the final week of each diet. We found that low-fat diet led to um, 689 plus 73 calorie less energy intake than low-carbohydrate diet over two weeks and 544 plus 68 calories less over the final week. Therefore, predictions of the carbohydrate insulin model were inconsistent with our observations. Uh, this was registered on the clinical trials. Um, so let me stop the share real quick and just kind of give some thoughts on that. Um, that goes to show you that actually overall composition of the diet actually does matter. And what I want to drive home here in specific is that carbohydrates shouldn't necessarily be excluded because people think you're going to gain fat because of insulin. That's just not true. And when you think about carbohydrates, I posited this once on Twitter, and I really want people to take this home. A sugar-sweetened beverage, like a little Coke can, has about 140 calories. So you know what else has about 140 calories? One pound of strawberries. So what do you think is going to be more satiating? A can of Coke with 140 calories, and I think it's like 40 grams of carbohydrate or whatever it is, or a whole pound of strawberries? That to me right there should tell you that you probably shouldn't exclude carbohydrates because one pound of strawberries is going to be incredibly satiating, right? And as I kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, plain white potatoes are considered to be the most satiating food. So once again, it's another reason why you shouldn't want to exclude carbohydrates unnecessarily. Now, if you have a medical condition or whatever, consult your doctor and see what they say. But um, carbohydrates are very satiating, very tasty foods. And 
why do I drive home the satiety point so much, the satiating factor? Because if you're satiated, you're not hungry. And if you're not hungry, you're not going to want to eat. You're not going to want to binge. So therefore being satiated on your diet is incredibly important. So that's why, you know, I used to be a very big advocate for carnivore and for low carb, but um, I can't say the same anymore because I've seen personally the effects and the satiating effect that carb carbohydrates have had in my life personally. So, um, and once again, as I always say, you don't have to model your behavior after mine. I don't want people to think that, but it's just something to consider. And I'm going to lay the tools out here for you to use. So kind of reading back on in some of the studies I got pulled up here, um, the ketogenic diet for weight loss, um, is the ketogenic diet effective for weight loss? Bottom line, keto diets can help patients lose about two kilograms more than low fat diets do it one year, but higher quality studies show no difference as I've kind of laid out throughout this show. Weight loss peaks at about five months, but is often not sustained. Individual weight change can vary from losing 30 kilograms to gaining 10 kilograms with any diet. Um, in a systematic review of 13 randomized controlled trials, that's what RCT stands for, of keto diets versus low-fat diets, um, those on keto diets lost 0.9 kilograms more than those on low-fat diets at 12 to 24 months. And some of this may be from a little bit of what I was saying earlier, the loss of water from the loss of glycogen, your glycogen stores being depleted. Um, there were statistically significant, but likely clinically meaningless changes in surrogate markers. The dropout rate was 13% to 84% across studies. Um, and I, I have not never really read the uh, study itself, but from what I understand, most diets fail after three years, like 95% of diets uh, fail after three years of people regain all the weight that they've lost. Um, a systematic review of 11 randomized controlled trials found at 6 to 24 months that the ketogenic diet lost 2.2 kilograms more in the low-fat diet group, statistically different, but results were inconsistent. Higher quality studies showed no difference. Surrogate marker changes were similar to those above. Other systematic reviews, 5 to 24 randomized controlled trials were confounded by low-carbohydrate diets that were likely not ketogenic. Results ranged from no difference to a 3.6 kilogram weight loss, no systematic reviews or randomized controlled trials examined mortality and or cardiovascular disease. A randomized controlled trial found that weight loss at one year for low-carb diets um, of six kilograms compared to 5.3 kilograms for low-fat diets, not statistically different. Um, patient genotypes favoring um, one diet type had no effect and weight change varied from losing 30 kilograms to gaining 10 kilograms in either group. So once again, just kind of showing that there may be some difference in weight loss, but it likely could be explained by the fact that um, you lose that amount of water initially, and that's what happens initially when you go to a ketogenic diet. Um, so implementation, keto diets imply minimizing carbohydrate intake and maximizing protein intake to induce ketosis. Uh, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the framing of that, but like I said, when you tend to increase fat in the diet, a lot of the fatty foods tend to be accompanied by higher protein. So you may get a little bit more of a satiating effect and you may get more protein in your diet just by proxy of having higher fat foods. Um, adverse effects are common, including constipation, halitosis, muscle cramps. Um, just a little hint for people. Um, if you have muscle cramps on a low-carbohydrate diet, actually increase your salt intake. And you may actually have to do this a decent bit because 
the loss of water, you're going to lose sodium as well. So you want to use some electrolytes. Um, I've had Rob Wolf on the podcast now a couple times and he sells element electrolytes. I think they taste fantastic and I still use them actually pretty frequently. So um, good place to get your electrolytes from. Uh, Relight from Redmond Real Salt also has some pretty good electrolytes that are high in sodium. So um, just something to consider if you're on a, a low carbohydrate diet or if you just feel like you need some electrolytes. Um, numbers need to harm three to four. Um, headache, diarrhea, weakness, rash. Um, urine ketone monitoring is advocated in the lay press, but is not consistently reported in RCTs and its benefits is unknown. Um, won't belabor this too well. They don't got bigger references and stuff down below, but yeah. Um, mystery method evaluating the claims of increased energy expenditure during a keto diet. This is that study by uh, Kevin Hall, and we're going to kind of lay out why keto diets appear to be um, better at expending energy. So um, the carbohydrate insulin model of BC postulates that diets high in carbohydrates result in an elevated insulin secretion, thereby trapping fat inside adipocytes, decreasing the availability of circulating fuels and generating a state of, quote, internal starvation and non-adipose tissues that signals to the brain to suppress energy expenditure and increase hunger. Therefore, isocaloric replacement of dietary carbohydrates with dietary fat should result in decreased insulin secretion, increased circulating fuels, and increased energy expenditure if the carbohydrate insulin model is valid. To investigate this possibility, we recently conducted a metabolic ward study of relatively homogenous groups of 17 men with overweight or class 1 obesity to measure the changes in daily energy expenditure as subjects transitioned from four weeks of consuming high-carb, high-sugar baseline diet to an isochloric, very low-carb keto diet with equal protein for subsequent four-week period. Subjects spent two consecutive days each week residing in respiratory chambers, and the pre-specified primary aim of the study was to measure differences in daily energy expenditure on the final pair of chamber days during each diet period. The study was powered to detect 150 calorie difference um, in this primary outcome, which was pre-specified in the pre-registered clinical study to protocol as the minimum effect size that would be deemed psychologically significant. Um, we found no significant difference in daily energy expenditure between the diet periods, which um, with 2650 plus 356 calories per day during the ketogenic diet versus 2617 plus 395 calories per day during the uh, baseline diet. As measured on the final pair of chamber days, each diet in all 17 subjects. Nevertheless, using repeated measures uh, um, analysis of all chamber data during isochloric diets resulted in a significant increase in chamber energy expenditure that appeared transiently increased by 100 calories per day upon induction of the ketogenic diet, followed by subsequent waning over time despite rapid and substantial changes in daily insulin secretion ketosis and respiratory quotient that stabilized within the first week of the keto diet and persisted throughout the study. Um, the subjects consumed on average slightly more energy than they expended during the respiratory chamber days and they completed 90 minutes of mandatory daily exercise at a fixed wattage on cycle ergometers in an attempt to stabilize physical activity expenditure between the chamber and non-chamber days. However, on average, subjects lost body weight and body fat, suggesting that non-chamber energy expenditure was greater than the energy expended inside the respiratory chambers. This inference was supported by 
actigraphy <laughs> data indicating increased non-chamber physical activity. So this is kind of where it gets into what I was talking about, the doubly labeled water, because that's kind of how they use the, uh, when they measure your energy out. So the doubly labeled water method provides an indirect estimate of the daily average rate of daily CO2 production. Calculating energy expenditure requires an estimate of the corresponding daily average RQ, which is the ratio of CO2 produced to the O2 consumed. Um, the respiratory quotient is strongly influenced by diet composition, level of physical activity, and overall state of the energy balance. We originally reported that doubly labeled water measurements indicated that a significant 150 calorie um, per day increase in total energy expenditure during the keto diet as compared to the baseline diet. However, our original doubly labeled water calculations use respiratory quotient values measured during the chamber stays, which should not account for the differences in energy balance between non-chamber and chamber days. Recently, we published equations to appropriately adjust the RQ values to be used in doubly labeled water calculations to account for these differences in energy balance. We found that the revised DLW calculations using the adjusted RQ values result in no statistically significant differences in daily energy expenditure during the keto diet versus the baseline diet periods in these updated doubly labeled water results were more consistent with other measures. So once again, this just goes back to what I was saying that basically when the double labeled water is going to overestimate energy expenditure on a keto diet, because when you're on a keto diet, once again, you're excreting more water um, because your body can't hold on to it because of the lack of glycogen. Um, I don't want to belabor this any more than I absolutely have to. So um, let me scroll down to our conclusion here. Um, they have different conclude or um, different data and graphs. And like I said, I'll lay this all this stuff out in the show notes if people want to read it. Um, Friedman Appel's secondary analysis failed to account for RQ differences between chamber and non-chamber days, therefore resulted in the erroneous conclusion that non-chamber energy expenditure was significantly increased in the keto diet periods. Methods to appropriately adjust the RQ values used in daily doubly labeled water calculations were previously published and implementing those adjustments resulted in no significant differences in non-chamber energy expenditure between the diet periods. After removing two clear DLW outliers whose data violated the physical law of energy conservation, the difference in non-chamber energy expenditure between the diet periods was quantitatively small and not significantly statistically significant. Furthermore, doubly labeled water energy expenditure values adjusted for non-chamber um, respiratory quotient were in agreement with measures of body weight, composition, physical activity, and respiratory chamber expenditure. So in conclusion, the mysterious apparent increase in non-chamber expenditure that Friedman and Appel claim supports that the carbohydrate insulin model is more likely explained by methodological flaws in their double labeled water calculations that result in overestimating the differences in non-chamber expenditure between ketogenic diets and baseline diet periods. Um, and I don't want to hammer on this one too much, but um, a lot of people talk about the insulin so when you eat your body has to clear glucose or even fats from the blood so you make it a spike in your insulin which is that kind of high you feel initially from eating and then you experience a low which an acute rise in insulin doesn't it's not indicative of long-term responses in insulin which is something that a lot of people who are biased towards keto diets tend to conflate and misunderstand 
So you have to look at the area under the curve where um, when you eat carbohydrates, it may be high, but then it goes back down to baseline. Or where you eat a lot of fat, um, it may take longer for that to clear out of your blood, but your basal insulin may be a little bit higher because your blood has to take, or um, you have to take a lot longer to clear that fat. So um, the abstract results and everything, we'll just breeze this real quick and wrap up. The role, carbo the role of carbohydrate restri restriction, good Lord, <laughs> in the management of glycemia in type two diabetes has been a subject of immense debate and controversy, partly due to low carbohydrate trials being confounded by multiple factors, including a degree of calorie restriction, dietary protein content, and by no clear definition of a low carbohydrate diet. The current study sought to provide insight into the relationship between carb restriction and glycemia by testing the effect of varying doses of carbohydrate on continuous glucose concentrations within a range of intakes defined as low carb while controlling for confounding factors. Um, so the methods, the way they did this, this is a randomized crossover trial on participants with type 2 diabetes testing five different six-day eucaloric isochloric dietary treatments with varying carbohydrate contents. Um, so they did 10%, 15%, 20 25%, and 30% of calories coming from carbohydrates. Diets were kept isochloric, which means they were all the same calories, with fair, um, by exchanging the percentage of calories from carbohydrate with predominantly unsaturated fat, keeping protein constant at 15% of calories. Daily self-weighing was employed to ensure participants maintain their weight throughout each treatment arm. Between dietary treatments, participants underwent a washout period of at least seven days and were advised to maintain their habitual diet. Glycemic control is assessed using a continuous glucose monitoring device that was placed while the participant was on a normal diet, was warm for the six days of the treatment. So the results were 12 participants completed the study, which once again, it may seem like a small amount, but due to how tight this was controlled, you can't have tons of people because you'd have to pay them a whole ton of money. And I don't exactly hear people or see people throwing money hand over fist to do these studies. Um, so there were no differences in 24-hour postprandial sensor glucose concentrations between 30% and 10% calories from carbohydrates. Um, in our ex exploratory analysis, we did not find any dose or response relationship between carbohydrate intake and glycemia. A small amount of weight loss occurred in each treatment arm, but adjusting for these differences did not influence the primary or secondary outcomes. Conclusions, modest change to dietary carbohydrate content in the absence of weight loss while keeping dietary protein intake constant do not appear to influence glucose concentrations in people with type 2 diabetes. All right, so let's stop the share. Um, so not to say that you shouldn't do a low-carb diet or that keto diets don't work and that there's no benefit to them. Um, you could find individuals who adhere very, very well to a keto diet. My brother did it. He did great. I did carnivore. I did great. But um, over time, I just found that was less, that wasn't sustainable for me. Um, and there is plenty of evidence suggest that low carb diets are effect or um, are very effective on seizures and epilepsy. So people who have those kind of issues, um, when you consult with a doctor, if they recommend you to do that, then obviously do that. I'm not a doctor. But um, this is just kind of some of the evidence surrounding ketogenic diets. And this isn't me shitting all over a ketogenic diet or saying that you shouldn't do it, but just to kind of go in with the knowledge like, hey, 
this isn't the only approach and people telling you it's the only approach are being kind of disingenuous. So, you know, as with the goal of this channel of this podcast is to just give you the tools so that way you can be educated to make improvements in your health. That is the primary focus of this podcast. And obviously with the political stuff, um, if I convert you to libertarianism or give you more tools to argue for better political solutions along the way, then that's cool too. So, um, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts surrounding the keto diet and some science behind it. Um, like, uh, like, subscribe, share, give me five-star ratings and thumbs up if you think what I'm doing is valuable. Um, follow me on Twitter at K-M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K. Um, get your supplements from accentsledge.com. Then we have protein, um, different fat burners, um, essential amino acids, you name it. It's their protein bars. All the stuff is really, really great stuff, really high quality. I like it. I use it. It's not the only stuff I use, but um, that is who helps support this podcast. So um, yeah, feel free to go to accessledge.com, use code Matovic10, M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K-1-0 at checkout to get a little discount. Let me know I sent you their way. And uh, I got two more podcasts coming at you this week kind of been slowing down a little bit just because um, after 100 episodes I feel like I've established myself and I don't need to put out three a week but uh, some weeks I will some weeks I won't um, just kind of depends on how I'm feeling so once again if you think what I've done here is valuable then just do whatever you can to support me and share my content and um, until next time everybody thanks for checking it out and take care for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.